It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. I'm Adam Ritz. Today's show, the Adam Ritz Show, we thank you for for listening and we want to thank our guests on campus at Wabash College. This is the live studio audience. What a great crowd. Thank you guys for, uh, for that love and uh, for hosting the show. Uh, we travel the country reporting on community service and student leadership and we come now to Wabash College to talk to Brock Smith. Hi, Brock. How are you? Good. Uh, we come to Wabash to learn about a program called WAR. I was uh, on campus earlier. I heard you give a presentation about WAR, W-A-R, here at Wabash. Tell us what WAR is. Uh, WAR stands for Wabash Acts Responsibly, and it uh, goes hand-in-hand hand with our mission statement and our uh, gentleman's rule here, uh, and that is to promote and exemplify responsible behavior here at Wabash College. The gentleman's rule, uh, acting responsibly, in fact, that's what it stands for, Wabash acts responsibly. And the thing I like most about this is that it's a, it's a student-run organization, is that right? No administrator on campus, no old guy whatsoever helps you with this program. This is all student-run. That's right. We conduct all our meetings, all of our projects are all student-run and uh, student-organized. We take a trip. We took a trip to California last year. We're thinking about going to Orlando, Florida this year, and that's all student-organized. Okay, let me uh, stop you. What did you do in California? We went to a conference by a company called Apple. It's not the Apple computer, but another Apple and uh, leadership in sports is what they kind of present to us. And it's really just to help us build our war council, to build our program into a better war council, helping us develop new areas of focus and that kind of thing, new projects. And that's another one of those trips to Florida will be a conference like that to learn leadership skills. Uh, how about locally around the campus? Uh, do you do any sort of service projects, working with kids or uh, fundraisers? Uh, yeah, we do a lot of different funding uh, from all, on and off campus. Uh, but some of our projects include provi providing uh, root beer kegs uh, to some of our activities, as well as ensuring that there are non-alcoholic beverages at uh, the TGIF or the Friday kind of gatherings for the students. Uh, we also bring in uh, people to educate the students on alcohol and drugs, that kind of thing. We brought in the Attorney General of the State of Indiana to campus last semester just to educate and teach the campus what we're about. Okay, and uh, you now are a junior or senior? Senior. Senior, and how did you get involved with war? I got involved with war by uh, going to the, the call-out meeting and something I took seriously, something I wanted to be a part of, and something I wanted to promote to other students and protect. Were you elected, or did you, are you on the board? Or is, are you the president of this organization? And if you are, then what, what can you tell to young students uh, to become part of this kind of mission, not only at, at your campus, but there are listeners coast to coast that want to get involved in their hometowns? I am the president of the club. I was elected president by the previous leaders of the club. And my message to you is, why, why wouldn't you want to be in a club like this? Why would you not want to promote responsible behavior and protect your friends, protect everybody on this campus, protect the image of Wabash because it means something. 
Why wouldn't you? That's a, I love that. And then before I let you go, when I heard you speak earlier today, you said something that I, I couldn't relate to and I, I couldn't uh, fathom at your age, but you said you made a commitment to not drink alcohol until you were 21 years old. Um, you tell that from your point of view, because I probably just botched it. Is that, the, is that the way it went? That's exactly how it went. Um, you know, it's not easy here. You, every college student has the opportunity to drink on the weekends, they hear the music, party, and they want to go. They want to have fun, you know, live the college life, the college experience, that kind of thing. But uh, I understood the right thing to do and what I want for my future, and it's paying off astronomically now. And you're pre-med, and you didn't drink until you were 21, and maybe that's why I wasn't pre-med. Maybe that's why I'm a communications major and I have a radio show now. I could have been Dr. Ritz if I just would have held out like you. Yeah. Yeah, probably not, no. Okay. Well, Brock Smith, let's have a round of applause for Brock. And everybody here at Wabash College, thank you for hosting The Adam Ritz Show. Adam Ritz is a media personality and keynote speaker, interviewing amazing people from coast to coast. Follow him on Twitter at Adam Ritz or listen to him now on The Adam Ritz Show. Our guest is Dave Westall, one of the nation's leading foremost experts on the topic of hazing, and we are so lucky to have you on the show, Dave. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my privilege. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, real quick, I want to get so many thoughts from you and your background, uh, and let's start with your background. I was uh, a fraternity man at Michigan State, joined my chapter. It was a hazing chapter, didn't appreciate that at the time. I engaged in hazing towards the end of my senior year. We were in quarters at the time. I remember my final quarter, it finally started to sink in. This isn't working. And this was uh, uh, what years? Uh, 1971 to 73. I mean, so glory years of, you know, Animal House comes out. That's, that takes place in the late 60s. I mean, late 60s, 70s, you were in the, you were in the thick of some heavy physical hazing. Indeed. And then I uh, went on to law school, became an assistant prosecutor, volunteered for my fraternity, eventually became executive director. And I developed a presentation called Hazing on Trial, which I've done about 2,000 times, <laughs> which blends the criminal prosecution with, with my uh, stance against hazing. So fraternity man yourself involved in being hazed and hazing, um, law school, uh, you now speak around the country and the uh, title of that presentation is Hazing on Trial. Uh, I'm very familiar with it. You are uh, one of the most invited, I guess, speakers for fraternity headquarters around the country, not only because of your law background, but you were an executive director for your fraternity as well, right? That's correct. 18 years. So I guess let me pick your brain on uh, those three parts of your life, being a fraternity man yourself, being the grand poobah, the executive director at your fraternity, and now uh, being a risk management, risk, risk management speaker, um, an expert traveling the country. Wh wh how do you tackle this topic of hazing and make it come alive for a 18 to 22-year-old kid on a college campus? I've changed my approach a great deal. When I started, it was very intense, very graphic. This, this could be you sitting in that chair being prosecuted. And I've adjusted, uh, especially the last five years, to where now it's more interactive. I also use what I call the money ball from the movie and the book and, uh, and say, hey, guys, answer me this honestly. Does hazing really work? You know, let's, let's, let's break it down quantitatively. Are you really accomplishing what you say it does? And who does the hazing? Are they the most respected members? Show me the results. How come I'm looking around the room in your chapter and I see very few seniors, very few juniors? If they're so dedicated and committed as a result of hazing, how come they aren't just flooding the place? And that's what I try to get them to think about. 
Well, you just, one of the words that you just said that jumped out at me is uh, prosecuted. And I think for the most part, Americans, especially college students, they know hazing is bad, hazing is wrong. Uh, but I don't know if they know it's illegal or they could be prosecuted. Um, I guess, talk to me if you can about hazing from, from an illegal point of view. I mean, is all hazing illegal? Is it all a felony? Uh, pretend I don't know anything and I'm trying to decide whether or not I should get involved with my fraternity and what they seem to be, um, I guess, not really aware on whether what's hazing and what isn't. I didn't know I could get prosecuted. Sure. There are a number of, of liabilities that, that you run, but in terms of criminal law, 44 states have laws against hazing. Some of those, a couple of them are just civil infractions like a speeding ticket. Most are misdemeanors, and then a few, California, Florida, where there have been some major tragedies, have now uh, biggie-sized up to felony status. And their definitions may vary state to state. I always encourage the students to get to know, the, get familiar with the law in your state. but. Uh, do you really want to graduate with a misdemeanor on your record? That's going to affect everything you do from, from, t from this point forward and even forevermore. You don't want it, plus the potential for jail and uh, theoretically now prison, which is different from jail. So you, you know, I mean, there are guys in jail right now, got yes. federal prison for hazing. I'm not sure about federal prison, but I know that in state, at the state level, they will, uh, there are a couple that have been imprisoned, and there are several more, a number more, that have been placed in jail for d different amounts of time. What were the hazing situations? Usually uh, alcohol is a factor in nearly all the deaths, and these are usually the death cases, as I call them. And in men's fraternities, we've been very consistent. We kill uh, one, maybe two people every year who, who join our organizations. It's not always a men's national fraternity. And sometimes it's a local, uh, sometimes unrecognized groups. But nonetheless, it's, it's to the public, the perception is it's just another fraternity death. But those are usually the ones that generate it. Plus, you had the death of Florida A&M of Robert Champion in the band, and that I don't think I've ever seen a case that resonated as widely and as deeply as, as that case. So it's uh, and he died, and a number of the were a number of the individuals involved were charged with manslaughter. Which, as a former prosecutor, I'm going yes, that's exactly the right charge. Okay, so that hazing at Florida A&M with a band, there was uh, physical beating. Um, there's a lot of hazing that uh, I think a young man could say, yeah, that's of course hazing. I'm not going to be involved with that. But then you uh, you mentioned alcohol and, a, and an alcohol-related death, choking on your vomit, alcohol poisoning. Sometimes, at least in my mind, what I remember from college, um, it can be fun. I mean, no one says, hey, we're going to start the hazing event tonight at 8 o'clock. It's, hey, we're going to start the keg races tonight at 8 o'clock. And if, uh, you know, you're a pledge and you think, great, this is going to be fun, it could go t horribly wrong once the alcohol poisoning sinks in and then the prosecutors step in and say, look, he, ha he felt like he had to do this to join your fraternity. I guess kind of touch on hazing as a, uh, what are the red flags to let a young man know what you're about to do might be hazing? It's not the obvious manslaughter beatings. It sure. could be a night of fun. Well, and, and you get the key point. It's really liquor as opposed to beer. If, if we could restrict all alcohol to beer, uh, we'd be in better shape because at some point your stomach says to your brain, stop, or it's coming out the way it came in. <laughs> and, and liquor is lethal. And in nearly every hazing death involving alcohol, it's been liquor because the blood alcohol uh, level soars or skies, and even the, the young man being hazed doesn't realize, hey, this is getting to a, a dangerous level, 0 
0.35. Uh, standard hazing practice would be as happened at Theta Chi at Cal State Fresno uh, in 2012. Big kid, high school football player, uh, 6'7", 275. Biggest kid, I'm sure, in the pledge class. They lock the pledges in a room after dinner and say, finish these bottles. And, uh, and if, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm going to surmise that, um, that the other guys looked at the biggest kids and said, hey, you got to drink more, or he volunteered to drink more because he's big. Yeah. And he was not, from my understanding of the facts, was not a, uh, an experienced uh, consumer of alcohol, and he, he died. They put him in a drunk room, and he, he passed out and never, and never woke up. And everybody's sorry, everybody's uh, embarrassed, there's shame, there's uh, guilt, chapters closed. I tell the guys, is it really worth your charter? Is, do you really want to do exercise this? Is this something you really want to do? Do you want to roll the dice and cost everything, everything, in exchange for supposedly making someone bond or some vague generalized thing? Questions I'd ask if I was a young man, first of all, tell me exactly and specifically what's going to happen. Hazing is, is based on things that are dark and mysterious. You nev- hazers never, ever say, this is what's going to happen to you. They will say, give, give you a vague basis. Secondly, if I'm a member, I'm going to say, what's the upside here? Are we really bringing people together or are we entertaining ourselves at their expense? And finally, I've never met someone who went through hazing and who didn't like it who has come back and said, I forgave everybody later. So what we're doing is creating schisms in the chapter or team or club based on status, and that doesn't lead to unity, cohesiveness, and brotherhood or sisterhood. And with those disasters, those real negative, those fatalities, um, you know, there's a victim involved now, too, yes. and their families. And uh, once that dust settles with criminal charges, there are lawsuits, wrongful yeah, death lawsuits. Always. always. And the mother of the young man in, in California uh, gave such an eloquent statement at the sentencing, criminal sentencing for two of the guys. And she said, this must stop. And she said, we have to understand what brotherhood means. And so I'm paraphrasing her, but she said, I thought she, she nailed it. She said, this is not fraternalism. This is not being a man. This is entertaining yourselves at someone else's expense. Dave Westall is our guest, uh, one of the nation's foremost leaders and experts on hazing. And uh, I like to tackle hazing um, from the social awareness perspective that you sometimes don't know that you're being involved either as the hazer or the hazy if it's a night of fun. And one of the examples I bring up is I was at a fraternity recently and they were uh, setting up for um, a get together and they're moving tables and moving chairs and uh, I'm like what are you doing and they're like well it's um, it's pledge night and we're gonna have an adult entertainer come by an exotic dancer and um, I said well you you know that's uh, hazing and he said no it isn't no it isn't everybody it's gonna be fun everybody enjoys it everybody's gonna have a good time it's it's one of the things we all look forward to the pledges love it and I said well let me just paint this picture you have a pledge who is gay and he hasn't come out and he hasn't told his parents and he's been battling for years maybe maybe a decade on his own sexuality and now he's being forced by his fraternity to sit in this room with members of the opposite sex that are naked now that he's not attracted to and he has to act like he likes it um 
That's hazing. I mean, how would you feel if you're heterosexual in a group that you want to be a part of made you go through some male stripper night? I mean, can you see that? And he was, his jaw was hit the floor and he was like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. So I think what you're doing is fantastic. The education, just making some guys think differently about this stuff. Um, I want to throw a couple buzzwords at you, some of the stuff that I, I sure. like to, to use. Uh, phrases like getting caught up in the hype. Um, a lot of people, whether they mistweet, mistext, social media, if they drink and drive, if they get in a bar fight, they're not thinking straight because they're getting caught up in the hype and they're emotional. Maybe they're drunk, but uh, you know, at noon after lunch, they would have never gotten in that fight or they would have never sent that picture or uploaded that tweet. But at two in the morning, if they're drinking, they get caught up in the hype and that's when they get in the bar fight and cause sure. damage. So um, I guess take that phrase, caught up in the hype and apply it to your world of hazing. My opinion, 10 to 15%, any team, any club, any organization, any fraternity or sorority are hazers. They don't do it because it helps the organization or team. They do it for their personal ego. makes them feel better. Uh, the head coach at Boston College from 80, 80, uh, excuse me, 1983 to, uh, I believe, 1988 was uh, – found a hazing situation in, in the team. That was when Doug Flutie was there. And one of the comments he made was it was funny to him that the starters weren't the hazers. It was the guys who were playing third or fourth string, as he put it, who probably never take a snap at a home game when they could dress more. Uh, they were the ones who were leading the hazing. And I, I said to myself, I see the exact same dynamic in fraternities. It's never the respected leaders who are leading this charge. Given that, What's the culture like in the chapter? And what I see so often today is the culture is one of passive observation. And I just wrote, I, uh, wrote a blog about standing up, speaking out. It's got to be done. Uh, if you don't like it, if you're not comfortable with it, somebody has to stand up. And just like you did confronting that young man, if more people did that and asked, why are we doing this? What's the purpose? What's the outcome? Final as I call it, the goalie question is this. Is this consistent with the values? Is, is, what's your creed? What's your credo? What do you believe in? We believe in this, this, and this. Tell me how the hazing supports, supplants, uh, perpetuates those words, that mission, that concept. And, of course, the hazers will, will uh, um, and then they go off on a tangent, and I say, come on, guys. Mm -hmm. and what you're, t you're telling me is you can't read there's no way you can write, you can put this in the same sentence with the creed of your organization. So it's your choice. You touched on uh, the next topic I want to bring up, which is that bystander intervention. Sure. You got to be brave and speak up, and uh, it's 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 hard to do sometimes if your buddies, especially the older guys in the house, are doing it, and especially if it's not as blatant that you know, manslaughter-esque hazing, if it's just the fun stuff, or the, or the exotic dancers, or the go-kill-the-keg contest. Um, you got to be that guy to say, what's the worst thing that can happen? And uh, that's another one of my favorite phrases. Any room you walk into, what's the worst thing that can happen when you go into this situation? So um, bystander intervention from your perspective, and what's the worst thing that can happen? What do you tell a young man uh, to be brave to speak up? I tell him somebody's got to have the courage. I, I tell him that one young man committed is a majority. And I tell them that even in a chapter of 250 men, I've seen it happen. One guy stands up and says, brothers, we're doing this wrong. And there are a lot of people who agree with you, 
they just are quiet. They won't say anything. But once they get a visible form of leadership, you'll be amazed how the hands will start popping up. And you start hearing things like, I agree with, and I'm going, you got it. But the hazers typically are a small, loud, vocal, profane group who lead by intimidation, just what they do with the hazing. You've got you to confront them. Dave Westall is our guest, hazing expert. Let's talk uh, happy, positive um, success stories uh, that you've seen across the country. I'm sure you, you're a crisis manager where something goes wrong, it hits the fan, they, they got to bring Westall in to, if, until the dust settles. Uh, on the other side of the spectrum, there are positive stories. What kind of uh, success stories can you share with us from your desk that you've seen from some of your travels around the, the country, going into a chapter, speaking to them about this, and then finding out six months later the culture did completely change? I've seen a number of those. I also see, as we expand for the men's fraternities, more and more often the consultants or other individuals who are recruiting go right for former new members or pledges of fraternities that existed on campus and they were hazed and they walked away. And I'm saying, I want those guys because they're smart, they're educated, and number one, they stand up. They say, I'm not going to put up with this garbage in the name of brotherhood. This has nothing to do with our relationship. And they're exactly right. And they love the fraternity concept. They just aren't going to put up with a lot of junk. And I'm saying, give me those guys. I'll pack a chapter with them. So that works. I've also seen, I was at, uh, flew into Las Vegas a few years ago. Apparently there was a big sports tournament, NCAA. I'm thinking swimmers or maybe track, based on the size configuration of the athletes. One team, I usually check my bag if I'm on an extended trip. I had a five-stopper, so I'm waiting on the bag. One team comes up. I notice that nearly all the team members are grabbing those big duffel bags and stacking them on the, the uh, little carriers they had. And everybody's helping. It looked like the coaches were, too. And then they took them out to the bus. Look over to my right. There's another team. Similarly, they're all in sweats. And three young guys, my gauges, are standing by the carousel. And as the bags start coming out, they reluctantly start offloading and putting them on the cart. When they got the cart filled up, an older guy standing behind him with his arms folded stepped up and shoved the cart, shoved the bags. So they all spilled around. And the older members laughed, and then the guy, young guys had to pick it up and put them in. And I always ask my audiences, I don't know what sport, which, which team do you think would pull together? Final minute, sweating your eyes, heart pounding, you're, you're pumping pure adrenaline. Which team would pull together? And, and, and at least strive together. And they always said, well, the first team, how come? Because they're a team. And I said, perfect. That's exactly what, and I see that so often. And, and uh, the, the good guys are out there. We're getting them. It's just a question of giving them that shove in the back to say, make your feelings known because you're, if you're uncomfortable with this, we got to hear from you. That's fantastic. Dave Westall is our guest. Uh, finally, I want to talk about the media uh, and social media. I count that as broadcast media as well um, that cover these stories. And you've been doing this long enough that uh, you've, you've seen a change. I, I know I was on the tail end of that animal house hazing. Uh, it was a fraternity pledge in 1988. I was hazed pretty physically. I mean, there was guys in my pledge class that lost teeth 
I mean, we were the la actually the last pledge class at my fraternity to go through certain activities because of insurance was just changing, laws were changing, cultures were changing. And I, sometimes I think, okay, I, I'm 25 years removed from college. It, it doesn't happen anymore. Uh, hazing doesn't happen anymore. Then you get the Florida A&M band story. You get a story recently, uh, some guys out in California on a hike. Uh, one of the young members falls off a cliff and dies. They, they find out it was hazing because it was an out-of-chapter activity that these guys had to do. Um, that hazing stuff is out there. It hits the media. Uh, some of us tend to think, and I'm sure some young guys in fraternities think, that it's not happening anymore. Uh, I see it in the media and the way the media covers it. What do you, I guess, how do you follow these stories? Do you do, you do social media? And uh, when you see these headlines, are you like, We've got to do more education. These these young people just still aren't getting it. There's a, I do follow all social media. In fact, I spend about an hour a day, uh, which is sad. But I <laughs> um, I have seven Google searches, and uh, the last couple of years, I literally an hour every morning just copying articles on things that fraternities and sororities have done. The usually bad news. An hour every day, every day. of hazing-related content from hazing, across the country. Risk management, all other kinds of things. But it's that what I find is that if you have hazing in the chapter, you also have a loss of respect for the values, and that's going to lead to the other issues. Um, the good news is you've got. Uh, there was just a report. A report I read recently about a uh, fraternity at Georgia Tech that was hazing its pledges, and a young man walked by, and, and I, I'm not sure if he got some photos of it with his, his phone, but he reported it to the police. And I was saying, thank you, because one of the members took one of the pledges to the hospital, and sure enough, there were the police waiting for him, yeah. and they got him. And I, I try to, you know, I burn my vocal cords out saying to, the, to our young people, if you think you can do this in darkness and secrecy like your parents did 25, 30 years ago at Europe, you're crazy because people are watching. There's a heightened sense of awareness. We've got professors, faculty members, administrators, police officers. Everybody is on a much higher state of alert for this type of thing. And fortunately for us, more young people are stepping up with courage saying, hey, this is going on. I'm going to report it anonymously or otherwise I'm going to flag it. So uh, it just the, the good news is we get more photos, we get more evidence, and boy, it's as we saw in the Ray Rice video, a video is worth uh, 10,000 words. And yeah. that's what we're getting. Yeah, it's all, everything. everything's broadcast now. There's nothing you can do that we won't find out about. Dave Westall is our guest. And finally, before I let you squeeze out of here, I know you're busy. 18-year-old, uh, new to campus, eyes wide open, joins a fraternity. Um, just best 10-second elevator advice for, for this young man on, uh, on how to, I guess, recognize hazing and then what to do if he thinks he is getting it. Ask first, and, and if you hear answers like, oh, our fraternity has a policy against hazing, I'd walk out the door. Because he's not answering your question. He's asking, asking you to do deductive reasoning and that, that they're hazing. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is be a, be a good young man. You've got values. You've got ethics. If you're uncomfortable with a situation, you don't have to stand up and start throwing punches. You can start asking questions, which is what confounds the hazers and we'll get some of the other members to start thinking. And my encouragement is, if you care about at least most of the men or women in the chapter, and you care about the organization, then I, I'm not putting making you the gatekeeper, but as the newest members, you have a, a lot more effect and impact than you think. And ask the questions, make some changes, 
don't tolerate what, what you are uncomfortable with, and you'll be surprised how things will change. Well, Dave, thanks for coming on the show. And before we get you out of here, uh, your digital properties, Twitter, Facebook, you want to share those with us real quick? Sure. My Twitter handle is uh, at Limberlost, L-I-M-B-E-R-L-O-S-T, number one, or numeral one. And then my uh, uh, website is LimberlostConsulting.com, and I have a Facebook page for that as well. Get socially technical with The Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social technically. We were lucky to have Bruce Johnson, a football player from Southern Miss, on the show, and we had a chance to ask him about his best advice to give to people about getting involved with community service. Bruce, how are you? Doing great. How about you? I am uh, just fine, and you are being honored for your character, your community service. You've been caught in the act. How's that make you feel? Feels great. Nope. I uh, really appreciate it. Okay, so for our listeners that, uh, you know, it's been a long day, and sometimes you just want to go home and do nothing, uh, what is your best advice to, to get up off the couch and make a difference in your community? Oh, man, just uh, get out. Like the NFL says, 30 minutes a day, do whatever you can, uh, be active, be active in your community, um, be a leader in the classroom, off the field, um, on the field, any way you can, get involved with your community. Looking back over your years here at Southern Miss, what's been your favorite, I guess, service project or uh, community service? Oh, yeah, definitely uh, when we went and talked to Tim's Elementary, uh, went and did a little Mardi Gras parade with them and got to uh, teach some kids how to read and... um, Lance Schufert was with us. We just talked about football and decision-making and all that, so probably that that day. All right. Well, congratulations on being a Caught in the Act Award winner here at Southern Miss. Let's have another round of applause for Bruce Johnson. Bruce. Bruce. And thanks to my guests today on the show, the students of Wabash College sharing the Wabash Acts responsibly and the gentleman's rule with our listeners. David Westall, hazing on trial, national hazing expert sharing his insights on the topic of hazing. David Westall, thank you, Dave. And Southern Miss's very own Bruce Johnson. Bruce, great job, and we wish you the best of luck in your endeavors. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.